All right. How's everybody doing this morning? Great. Great. Everybody have a good week? Hope so. I was uh, thinking about what to talk about this morning, and I, I didn't have long to think about it because uh, James let me know yesterday afternoon that I would be <laughs> initiated. I don't know, maybe it's more like hazing when you give somebody such a short notice, you know. <laughs> I don't know, so that's all right, though. It's, it's a blessing and a privilege, and uh, uh, thank you all for your encouragement, and uh, Russ, for those prayers. Appreciate it. Um, you know, I was thinking about what to talk on, and James says, you know, talk on anything, and I'm like, well, that sure opens everything up, you know, but, you know, you have to think about when it, when it comes to moments like, uh, you never know what people need to hear, but my thoughts are is, look what's going on today in, well, in America, I don't, you know, we know what's, and there's some other things going on in the world, there's, there's financial decline in Europe, there's societal decline over there. Really, there's societal and moral decline everywhere, isn't there? I mean, we, we are coming, uh, you know, a, a dark, spiritually uh, dark type of uh, society. You know, it seems that we're just, it seems it's getting worse. But the thing is, when, it, when it's darkest, that's when a little bit of light shines the most, doesn't it? And, you know, I, I can't help but think, and this wasn't even in my notes, but I can't help but think about what Jesus told the disciples when it's almost like the Roman government, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the cultural thinking, their, their little world, their whole world system was against them, in essence. But yet Jesus' words more than once was, Fear not, little flock. I've overcome the world. Fear not. I mean, listen. When you've got God on your side, with you, in you, around you, you're complete in Him, you've got a majority. Okay? Christianity, in my opinion today in America, and in, in mainstream Christianity, I'm not, I'm not ranking on anybody, but what we've become, unfortunately, folks, is we've become like a, a subculture. We get in our little, you know, holy huddles. And I'm not... I, I appreciate anybody's heart to want to even come to church to even want to read the Bible, to even want to study the things of God. And we have a great group here. This is a great church, a great assembly of believers all over. Uh, but a lot, of, a lot of what we'd consider mainstream Christianity is viewed, they, Christianity is viewed like this, even, well, especially by the outside world. They're, they're viewed as, as uh, it's a subculture, it's, it's uh, and it's oftentimes just, they look at Christianity, it's just, well, it's changes in lifestyle, you know, it's changes in, uh, you know, your, your plans and uh, all that, and choices of lifestyles, and, and it, it's, Christianity is kind of looked at even by believers as, it's, I come into a system of do's and don'ts, kind of like regulations and so forth. And, you know, people think, well, I, I, I used to go to uh, nightclubs, and now, and now I don't go to them at all. I just I go and I, I go to softball games now, or whatever, you know, <laughs> whatever. People look at that as like, well, Bill won't be bowling with us tonight because he doesn't drink anymore. You know, it's like, and, and you know, sure, there's, there's, there's changes that we make once we come to Christ and all, 
and there's an in, inner motivation, and there's certainly, you know, uh, admonitions and, you know, commands in Scripture to make certain lifestyle changes. Paul says, if you've been stealing, cut it out and go to work, you know, uh, things like that. And, but these admonitions and these commands and are, these directives are given to us as, they're given to us in light of who we are, who we've become in Christ. And it's in light of what he's done, isn't it? You know, so uh, there's a, the change it, it comes and it stems from a motivation from within and an identity. The identity of who God has made us in Christ. And uh, it's important for us to know how, what happened, and when it happened, right? Uh, and if we want to begin to help people, or even ourselves, before we can help anybody else, we need to see that the cross of Christ is the dividing line in human history. Um, there's a, been a new arrangement between God and man. Amen? Uh, and I was talking to Russ before the, before the lesson this morning, and I was wondering, Russ, in your Bible there, when does it say the New Testament starts? What, what did Zondervan or Thomas Nelson or whoever your publisher is there, where does, where does it say the New Testament starts? <laughs> At the end of Malachi. At the end of Malachi. There's a dividing page, right? No, the New Testament in my Bible begins on page one. Okay, yeah. Yeah. There's New American Standard Bible that it says New Testament. It's got a fly leaf. Yes. And a dividing page, right? That's what it says, a dividing page. Yeah, right after Malachi. But that's really, folks, you know, a lot of people think, well, that's where the New Testament or the New Covenant or the New Will starts. But it really doesn't start at the beginning of Matthew, does it? Because there's a reason, because Hebrews chapter 9 and even Galatians and other places talks about the fact that Christ came to us, he was born under the law, and he taught under the law, and he ministered to the Israelites who were under the law. And you, you realize, you know, the birth of Christ, as great as that is, his whole earthly ministry, that whole time that Christ was on earth teaching, he was teaching under the law. Yes. And, and the and the stringent standards that were there with the law, we're going to see that all he did was <laughs> amplify them and really bury people. <laughs> so um, Hebrews 9, Galatians talks about that. And we, when you think about this, I believe it's Galatians 1 says that Christ was born in due time, born under the law, seed of the woman. You think about that, Christ came at just the right time. The Roman government had taken over, you know, all that land of Israel and Palestine. The Pharisees were on the scene. Boy, <laughs> boy, were they on the scene, right? Controlling people, manipulating people. God knew there had been 400 years, basically, of silence from the Old Testament, from the end of Malachi uh, to the beginning of, you know, where Christ was born in Bethlehem. And people had become basically, and I'm sorry to say, like Israel is today, Maybe not as bad as they are today, but Israel today is basically, you know, a bunch of unbelievers, agnostics, atheists. I mean, that, that, is, that is tragic. But at that time, at least the religious hierarchy still had quite a sway on people, didn't they? I mean, you think about that. They, the things that Christ just nailed them for, I mean, he, they, they said, look, you, you Pharisees, you are straining at gnats, but you're swallowing camels. You're missing the whole boat. You're missing everything when it comes to what the meaning of the law was for, what the purpose of the law was for. 
And, and while Christ was here on earth before his death, the law had not been removed. You know, the new, new covenant did not and could not go into effect until his death, right? And you think about that. To get an inheritance, someone has to die. That's why the story of, uh, what is it, the, uh, uh, not the lost son, but the, uh, the prodigal son, you know, is so outrageous because here's a son who didn't want to wait for Pappy to die <laughs> and wanted his inheritance. But almost in all circumstances that we know of, someone has to die before you get the Cadillac, right? Or, or whatever you think you're going to get, <laughs> okay? And, and really, the last will, the one that's in effect right before the person dies, is the one that sticks. That is the, that is the covenant. That is the will that sticks. Like, how many of you ever known of a will or heard of somebody that had a will that changed, you know? Which is the, which is the one that sticks? The last one. The last one. If, you know, you thought you were going to get the Cadillac and then something happened and Pappy's will didn't include that, whatever the last will and testament says, that's what goes into effect. And the Bible talks about in Hebrews that we receive what kind of inheritance? An eternal inheritance. You know, other than all the, all the other things that you know that, that make your eternal security secure, our inheritance that we receive from him, from this new covenant, from this new arrangement, is eternal. It's an eternal inheritance. And that, make, that makes it a promise of enormous proportions between God and man. So let's think about something Christ taught about, taught about under that old covenant ministry and teaching that made the Pharisees, you know, I mean, think about the things he taught. The things he said were so outlandish. It, it made the Pharisees mad. It made that rich young ruler sad. <laughs> and it just, and the rest of the masses, it just kind of, they were like, wow, no one ever taught like this before. This guy's, this guy's out major. And you think about that. The claims of Christ, if you're ever talking to unbelieving people, please, if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. The claims that Christ made didn't come from somebody like the opinion of, well, I believe he was a good man. It's like a good man <laughs> wouldn't say and make the claims that Christ did. I lived out in Los Angeles for seven years, and, you know, there's some weirdos out there. If you see somebody in a sheet out on Hollywood Boulevard saying, I'm Elias, and I have come to declare that next Thursday is the end of the world. I'm a prophet under God. It's like, no, you're not. It's like, you know, the claims are, when they're outrageous, you have to conclude the guy's a nut job or they're lying. You know, and that's what you have to think about Christ. The claims that he made, you know, I am the son of God. I am the bread of life. I am the, li- the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. These were absolutely outrageous claims, outlandish if they weren't true, folks. No, a good man wouldn't say things like that. He'd be a false prophet. He'd be a liar. He'd be a kook. Or he'd be the truth, who he said he was, God in the flesh, the Messiah. So don't let anybody like, don't rob Christ of his total authority by, by saying, well, yeah, he listen, there, there comes times when you need to stand, you know? I mean, we don't need to be jerks and go and look for an argument. I don't believe we need to offend anybody needlessly. <laughs> There's enough offending going on. But listen, the person of Christ is the most unique individual in in human history. And it's because of his claims. It's because of what he did. And we know it's because it was proved by his resurrection. Amen. So uh, that was a freebie. I just had to throw that in there.
So, uh, so the things he claimed would really cause some people to, to perk up and listen. Uh, you know, what Christ did is he immediately went to work after, you know, he called his 12 disciples unto himself and was, had his baptism. The voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I am, what? Well, well pleased. And, you know, you look a little further down in that chapter, I think it's Matthew 5, where, and it just says, and God was not pleased with, with what, you know, the Pharisees were teaching, what they were doing, how they were manipulating the crowds. And so Christ, what did he do? After he called his 12 disciples and started his ministry, it almost like seems he, he immediately went to go stick, it, stick in the craw of the Pharisees, didn't he? <laughs> Sorry from Texas, I put things that way. Hey, he just he just stuck in their craw the things he said, the things he did. Why did he go through the grain fields, you know, with his disciples on the Sabbath day and pluck off grain and you know and eat with them? It's like it's like he he knew they were watching. He knew the fair and the fair, oh, look what he's doing. Look what I mean, can you believe what him and his disciples are doing? Hey, why are you doing this? Why are you hanging with sinners? Why are you eating with unwashed hands? He immediately purposely set out to offend them, you know? And sometimes, the, even with the legalists of our day, I mean, I know we're not Christ, but, you know, there's some things that almost need to be, you need to offend somebody to get their attention. I mean, and I'm not saying do it, do, sin, because we're not to put a stumbling block. Hear me well. We're not to put a stumbling block in anybody's way, but, you know, some legalists just, they need to see the, the frailty of their ways. Because legalism is, is a failing system. It's a, it's a failing system. You, the standard is never enough. It's like you can always, you're either going to have to judge like, well, was my heart really in it in my prayer time? Was 30 minutes really enough for me to pray? Was 45 minutes really long enough for my devotion? Etc. etc. You know, where's it going to end? When there's non-biblical man-made standards and a performance-based acceptance program put in your mind either by you or by others, where is it going to end? This, the Bible. God's admonitions under grace are our standard, not man-made standards. So he, he, you know, he was offending the religious leaders. He was calling them stuff like whitewashed tombs, uh, you know, full of dead men's bones, uh, gnat strainers and camel swallowers and whatever else. You know. um, he said you know, their, you know, their fashion was wearing logs out of their eyes, you know. And worrying about somebody else's a speck and someone else's, you know. And, you know, but to the masses, he also said some outlandish things. He says, listen, if your right hand offends you and causes it to sin, cut it off. If, you're, if, you're, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, you know. And these outrageous claims were all made with Christ's teaching under the law. He said, you've heard it said, or it is written, the law says such and such, but I say unto you this. He said, you know, if you even look at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery already with her. If you're angry with somebody without a just cause, you've committed sin. He says, if you call somebody raka or a fool, you're in danger of judgment. You're in danger of hellfire. He said, the law says this, but I say this. Because you're just reading the letter of the law, but I'm telling you what the spirit of the law says. I'm telling you what the real intent of the law is. He told the rich young ruler, uh, you know, sell all you have. Give it to the poor, follow me. Because Jesus had just told him, you know, what have you done? If you kept the commandments, and, you know, keep the commandments, and you'll enter into life. The rich man said, ah, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Jesus said, okay, one thing you like. Sell all you have, give it to the poor, come and follow me. Where was Jesus going? To the cross. 
What a place to go. The guy just proved that he didn't really love his neighbor as himself. Wasn't willing to give it to anybody. You know, when Jesus says, sell your estate and do this for me, it's like, so he elevated the law and says, the law says this, but I say this. In other words, he was saying the whole time, he's, listen, here's the standards. Here's the standard. Here's the standards. You don't meet them, but you have to. Your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And all of scribes and the Pharisees combined, <laughs> your righteousness had to exceed. Well, how good do I have to be, Jesus? He says, be perfect. How perfect? As perfect as your Father in heaven. <laughs> He's setting up an unattainable standard so, he, so people can see the, the absolute, the, the only attempt that could make it be feeble, and then they'd have to come to him to get it, righteousness and life as a gift. Amen? That's what it's all about. That's many times what you see in the gospel, and we've got to delineate these things. Now, sprinkled in with, with the gospels of all these claims and the elevations of the law and the high standard and the unattainable uh, things that Christ was claiming um, uh, for, us to ha- for us to do, dispersed in there, interspersed in there, is all the claims to have life. He that believeth on me shall not come into, not, into uh, condemnation, but shall have life. Life eternally. Um, so, he made the outrageous claims, took the law, set the standard, standard higher, raised the bar in every way, every, in, you know, in fact, if he would have given it to him like, uh, all at once just said, listen, here's what I'm going to do, here's the cross work of Christ, you know, I'm giving you the Pauline epistles before they even come to pass. <laughs> if, if he would have done all that, it would have been like people trying to drink out of a fire hose, you know, it would just, it would just have been too much for him to handle. So what he did, he gave him a little bit here and there, Offended the religious leaders, offended the Pharisees, gave him a little bit here and there, gave him offerings of truth, gave him offerings of life, and, and gave it to him in parables. So if they really wanted to know the deeper meaning, which the disciples did, the, tr- the close followers said, what was the meaning of that parable? What did you actually mean? Then he would explain it to them. He would. He would explain it to them. So uh, the, the Gospels, you know, really many times, it's kind of a bad news, good news thing. You know, <laughs> it's like, Here's the standards. You don't meet them. You have to. Uh, it's kind of like, I, I like to think of it as, uh, in the Bible in general, um, you know, the, some people think of the Bible as just a very condemnatory book. They stay away from it. Rules and regulations, do's and don'ts. It's really not like that. The Bible's really about, you know, uh, winners and losers, right? <laughs> I mean, you think about it. It's like, nobody reads the newspaper anymore, but the front page and the sports page, I look as, at the same way. You know, what do you got on the front page? You got people who came out on top of something, winners, and you got sad, tragic news, you got losers, you got winners and losers. What do you got on the sports page? You got winners <laughs> and you got losers. That's a lot of what's in there. Jesus was saying, look, be perfect. How perfect, Jesus? As perfect as your Father in heaven. Your righteousness needs to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And, um, and, and the, the words he said to the Pharisees, I mean, it was, it was harsh, wasn't it? They, they were harsh words and, and condemning words. But did he do that because, you know, the Pharisees had the truth and could see truth and were operating in the truth? No. Take a look at John chapter 9. John chapter 9, and uh, I believe it's verse 40. You know, whoever wanted... Christ, and whoever wanted 
more truth they could get it. All they had to do was have ears to hear. They had to be, have a willing heart to see it. Uh, John chapter 9, verse 40. Uh, uh, he, he had just healed a blind man. The blind man told him, Lord, I believe. He worshipped Christ. There's another verse for the deity of Christ, by the way. Christ always accepted worship in the Gospels, never turned it down, never turns it down in the book of Revelation. Uh, verse 39, Jesus said, For judgment have I come into this world that those who, may, those who do not see may see. I, you know, I want people to see. I want people who are blind to see, he said. And he said, uh, And that those who see may be made blind. <laughs> now, what's the paradox there? Well, he knew who was nearby, just like I said a minute ago. He knew who was watching him from the fields of grain, you know, the Pharisees. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, Are we blind also? Can you, can you almost hear the, the sarcasm in some of the Pharisees' responses to Christ when you read some of these things? Jesus said, If you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say, we see, therefore your sin remains. Even, even us, I mean, even us who are believers now, we never want to think we have all the answers, do we? We want to have a humble heart. We never want to see, I see it all, I've got it all, you know. Thank you, Lord, you know. See you in heaven someday, you know. We never want to be that way. We want to have open eyes and open ears to truth. Living, moving from faith to faith. Always being available to the Lord, to what he wants to teach us, humbling ourselves. But their problem was what? Pride. That was the problem of Satan in the beginning, wasn't it? He fell because of pride. Um, but Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no sin. You know, if you were just totally clueless. But these, these guys were people who had studied the scriptures. Jesus had just said a few chapters earlier, search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. But the scriptures are they which testify of me. It's all about me. Moses wrote of me, if you believe Moses, you'd believe in me. He said, therefore, since you say we see, your sin remains. Um, so the Lord's words were harsh towards them. They thought too highly of this himself. And all the teaching he did under the law was to bury them, and yet at the same time help people see that they nor anyone else could not only keep the letter of the law, but... You could never even keep the spirit of the law, the intention of the law, and its principles. He's saying you didn't keep what was written on tables of stone, nor did you keep in your heart what the law was written all about. You didn't keep the letter of the law, you didn't keep the spirit of the law. And I've come to fulfill it, Christ said. And he did, didn't he? When he died on the cross, what were his last three words to humanity? It is finished. Lord, let us believe it. Take a look at... Um, Romans 13, this goes in line with what we were talking about with the, uh, the Pharisees there. Romans 13, 8 through 10. This is the spirit of the law. This is the, 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 full, the, the whole thrust of the law. Romans 13, verse 8 starting says, Owe no, man any, no, owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. <laughs> he says, For the commandments, such as, You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, 
all are summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. How were, how were the Pharisees of that time doing on that love thing? <laughs> this command was to love God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Love your neighbor as yourself. You just said in this new covenant, I will put my laws on their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. What are those two laws? There they are. Love God. Love your neighbor. Very simple. Very logical. Um, John 5. Uh, let's go back to John chapter 5. You know, as man, as, as mankind, as humans, we try, to, we try to make it complicated, don't we? But Jesus said, unless you come to me as a little child, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. When he, when, he, when he sat someone in the midst of the disciples in the crowd, he could have brought, you know, a lawyer. He could have brought Socrates or somebody, you know, somebody who was the mastermind of the day, a scientist, one of knowledge, and sat in the midst of him and said, you need to come like him. Be a real intellect to enter the kingdom of God. Who did he bring? Probably a little toddler. He said, become like that. Become like that if you want to enter the kingdom. Total dependence on me. Total reliance upon me. What's the little kid doing? Just holding up his arm saying, Daddy. <laughs> that's it. And that's how we're to come to him. Uh, where was I? John chapter 5. Let's look in verse... Uh, well, let me just go through here and we'll, we'll see what we can pull out of this. Verse 33 of John chapter 5, Jesus speaking to those Pharisees says, You have sent to John and he is borne witness of the truth, yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He, believe it or not, his heart, as, as harsh as some of his words were, he wanted the religious leaders, the Pharisees, even the Sanhedrin council, his worst enemies, he wanted them to be saved. What did he say after he had been rejected? By the time I got to Matthew 23, and he looked out over Jerusalem, and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that stone the prophets, everybody I've sent to you, how often would I have just gathered you like, like a hen gathers her little chicks? But you wouldn't come to me. I mean, he, 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 you know, and you can't think, this is another reason, you can't just think everything is fixed. Everything that's going to happen is happening. God decreed, you know, all this rejection everything. So did Jesus just go up there on the on oh, look over Jerusalem and just shed crocodile tears in, in fakery? No, oh, it was real. He really wanted them to be saved, and he really wants people now to be saved. He wants people. He loves people. He wants to see people saved. I say these things that you might be saved. John himself, John the Baptist, was a bright and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me, that, and that the Father has sent me. The Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time, nor seen his form. Wow. Wow. But you do not have his word abiding in you, because whom he sent, talking about himself, you do not believe. How many people do you know that say, well, I believe in God, you know. Uh, you know, I don't believe in Jesus and all, but I believe in God. So, God put it in every man to believe in him, Romans 1 teaches. Everybody believes in God. 
Everybody knows inherently that there's a God because God put it in them. That's why, I don't know if it's my Texan upbringing, I, I'm a little rough with men, you know, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm probably, I'm going to say this now. Men who claim to be atheists, I have no patience with. I mean, name-calling kind of happens, you know, when, <laughs> when I start interacting with them, you know, it's, it's, I need to work on that. Y'all pray for me in that regard. But men who claim to be atheists, to me, are just the biggest wusses. I mean, I mean, give me a break. You know there's a God. You spineless coward. Don't come and tell me you don't believe in God. You know there's a God. You'll call on him when you're about to make that golf shot. You know, you call on him when you're about to make that flight, and it gets a little rough up in the turbulence, don't you? Come on. Conditional belief. That's what that is. I need to get away from that. I need, I need to stop. Uh, some of those freebies aren't too good. You know, rabbit trails aren't always. <laughs> Sorry. But listen, he says, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Where does life come from? It all comes from Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is life incarnate. He is life giving. He is eternal life himself. He is life. He is the bread of life. You ever get hungry spiritually? You know? Yeah. Jesus says, I am your bread. I am the bread. You ever get thirsty spiritually? Jesus said, I'm the living water. I'm what you need. Folks, we should not be ashamed of this message or this person that we worship because. He is everything that everybody needs in every way. In all walks of life. He is everything. He says, I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. And people think the Antichrist is going to be, you know, just like Christ and all, you know. Listen. He's, the Antichrist is going to be someone who comes in his own name, and it's all about humanism. It's all about human potential. It's all about, look what we can do if we all work together. I think of a former president, maybe, I'm not going to say how many administrations back, but he quoted that verse in the New Covenant that says, I hath not seen, nor hath ear heard. And you, you know how wonderful that is. That's a wonderful thing. I hath not seen, ear hath not heard. Uh, nor the heart conceived at what God has prepared for those that love him. Well, he said, I hath not seen uh, nor ear heard what we can all do if we all work together. I mean, my fist wanted to go through the TV and, and snatch him out. What? Don't bring it down to that level. Listen, this is a wonderful God we served. You do not have the love of God in you. I've come in my Father's name. You do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God? Guys, this is another reason I'm down on men sometimes because we need to be the servant leaders that are willing to stand up for Christ and say, yes, he's the answer. Yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I believe this book. Yes, I believed I'm saved to the bone, you know. Yes, I am saved, saved, saved. I couldn't go to where you just told me to go if, if I tried. <laughs> but listen, we need, to, we need to grow a bit of a spine, you know. We've got a culture and a mass media that just basically belittles the Christian belief. 
And I understand there's some stuff in Christianity that's, that's out there, that's wacko. But listen, not your Savior. Your Savior is, is a great king. He is the greatest thing to belong to, and this is, the greatest, this is the greatest life you could ever have, folks. Belonging to the God of the universe. You're in relationship with the God of the universe, the God who spoke it all into existence. He says, You don't seek the honor that comes from the only true God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe what? You would believe me. He says, for he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Once again, the claims of Christ. The claims of Christ. And a lot of times people in Christian circles, we have a mindset of, well, and even, you know, everybody has a mindset a lot of times. It's like, well, what can I do to please God? Is this an XYZ system of getting to have favor with God, you know? You know anyone like that? (laughs) We all can be like that sometimes. And that's sad. But the message of grace has to be seen. I've come to this conclusion. You know, you ever talk to people and it just seems like you're not getting through? Like it's kind of like a brick wall? I mean, even Christians, when you're trying to talk to them about the total reconciling work of Christ, the total uh, security that we have in Christ, this new covenant that we live under, this new plan of total forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future sins, that Christ took away the sins of the world, that the whole world is reconciled to God, that, that God isn't counting anyone's sins against them. It's, it's almost like people like, eh, it's too good to be true. <laughs> but that's like God, isn't it? That's the way God is. And people can understand rules, but sometimes human thinking and fleshly pride, you know, gets in our way. Um. In all this, let me just say that what God is, what Christ is doing here, He's showing that He alone can accomplish what needs to be done for us—a perfect sacrifice to satisfy God's perfect standard—and then offers us a perfect standing as a gift with no strings attached. See, God today isn't looking at us through uh, and seeing. He doesn't just see Russ. He doesn't just see you. You know. He puts on his Jesus glass. Oh, okay, you're righteous. I, okay, all right, I see you. All right, Ken. Oh, well, yeah, all right, it's okay. He has made you righteous. It's not just positionally. Your forgiveness is not just positionally. Can you imagine looking up at Christ on the cross and just bloody as, as all can be and just a, a terrible scene and just say, I wonder if that's positional forgiveness. <laughs> He's done it all. He's done it all to make us complete in him. A gift with no strings attached. So when we, when we try to add, as, and Clark says this good, I can't even say it the way he says it, but the way he words it is great. It's like, we need to present a pure gospel of pure grace without any leavening of the law. Because a speck, a speck of the law, a speck of leaven, will leaven the whole lump, doesn't it? If we had a nice uh, tablecloth out here, and, uh, and uh, Ken just spilled a little bit of Pepsi right in the middle of it, you know. Like, oh, get another one. <laughs> get another table. Just a speck, you know. If you've got a nice white, I mean, a pure glass of milk, you know, and just one fly, bzz, what about all the rest of it? Drink it. No. You want something that's pure. 
You want it undiluted, undefiled, uncorrupted, unleavened. You want to have, you want to embrace, and you want to live out in this pure gospel of grace that God's given us. And uh, it's, it's, not a, uh, it's not a performance-based acceptance system that we live under. It's, it's an unconditional acceptance. It's what God has done. God says, you couldn't do it. I let Christ do it all. I let him fulfill it. He did fulfill it. He said on the cross, it is finished. God said, I'm well pleased with that. Enter into the joy of the Lord. What could be better than that? Nothing. So we should thank the Lord for those impossible standards that I talked about in the beginning that, that Christ said in his, during, in his earthly ministry. Thank the Lord for those high standards, helping us see that we couldn't, we couldn't meet up to it. We couldn't make it. And, and why? So that we'd come to him for the that gift of eternal life, eternal righteousness, and, and eternal inheritance that we get in that new covenant. And uh, just remember that, that um, you know, like Jesus said in another place, uh, he's the vine. Amen? We're just the branches. We get our life, our very source of life, from the vine. We're just the branches. And we just need to abide in the truths and uh, abide in him, depend on him, full dependency on him. Lord, say, uh, say to the Lord, you know, I'm weak, you're strong. My strength is, is, comes from you only. I'm nothing but weak and I'm glad I'm weak because without you I'm nothing, right? Apart from him we can do nothing, amen? So um, I think that's all I have to say. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you so much for your truth, your word. Thank you for the unattainable standards that you gave about the law and above the law uh, while you were here on this earth to show us that what we needed to do was when we realized that burden is so heavy, that that burden is so unbearable that the law could never give life, that all it did was kill and condemn us spiritually. That you said, Lord, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. And I'll give you rest. Help us to come to you now, even after salvation, for that rest. Help us to always know that we need to enter into that rest, to rest from our works, and know that we need to just trust in what your works were and know that it will give us that full life that you want to have for us, that abundant life that you promised in you, Lord Jesus. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.